0: Today on The Journey with Steve DeWitt, a message from John 15 on persecution. Jesus is urging us here to realize that the antagonism
1: that the world will have against Christ and Christianity is not so much about us, but about who we represent to them. The gospel is good news, but it is not good news to everyone.
0: The gospel is good news, but that doesn't mean it's universally embraced. Jesus warned his disciples, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Today on The Journey with Steve DeWitt, we're discovering why the gospel may not be good news for everyone and gaining a fresh perspective on sharing Christ's love in a world that may not fully understand. Today's message is titled, Jesus Hate, and you can also listen online at thejourney.fm. Now, here's Pastor Steve DeWitt to get us started. I'd like to begin by introducing
1: you to Cheryl Beckett. Cheryl grew up in Tennessee, but graduated from Indiana Wesleyan University, right here in Indiana. Cheryl was a pastor's daughter and passionate about sharing the gospel of Jesus through humanitarian and compassion-type efforts around the world. She graduated from Indiana Wesleyan. She was accepted into John Hopkins University, but she skipped because she was passionate about getting going with her mission's work. And this led her to Afghanistan and Mercy Ministries uh, post 9-11 in In Afghanistan. In August of 2010, she joined a medical team that was delivering medical supplies in northern Afghanistan when the Taliban captured her and the rest of her group. And this group was doctors, nurses, um, aid workers like Cheryl, all in this group. On August 6, 2010, Cheryl Beckett left this life and entered into eternity, along with the other nine in that group who the Taliban executed one by one. The Taliban later explained that they did this because they perceived the medical team was spreading Christianity. Now, what do we say to that? Well, we first of all say, it's great to be Cheryl Beckett today. To be a martyr for Jesus, and to be in paradise with Jesus, it's great to be Cheryl Beckett today. And yet we shake our heads at the kind of animosity and hatred that it would take to execute 10 people bringing medical supplies to your own people, and to do that simply because you perceived possibly a connection with Jesus. Did they hate Cheryl? I think we could say yes. But what were they actually hating? And who were they actually hating? And this is what Jesus now in the upper room makes very clear, and I have to believe as we've been working through the upper room, Jesus gets to this portion of his teaching, and I I believe that his countenance would have changed as he moved into this section, chapter 15, verse 18 through 21. Let me read it to you. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. who sent me. Now these disciples over the time with Jesus had seen a lot of antagonism towards Jesus. But they have no idea the level of venom and hatred that is about to be unleashed on Jesus. And literally within hours from Gethsemane to Calvary, we're talking just like 12 hours from when Jesus says these very words, he knew what was coming and he also knew what was coming for the disciples in the months after his resurrection and in the years to come for them. And so here we have Jesus, the loving rabbi. He wants to prepare them for what is about to be unleashed on him and on them and to help them understand why people would hate them so much. Now, as I understand the the Greek grammar here, thank you, Sinclair Ferguson, he notes that the if in verse 18, if the world hates you, is a kind of if that sort of means since or probably. It's not a happen chance. It is rather a likely thing that is going to happen if and when they hate you. And let's define the who, world, okay? Who is the world in this text? And this is always a hard thing when you read through the the Bible because The Bible talks about the world in different ways, okay? So we have the world as in the created world, earth, okay? The physical world. We have the world in terms of humanity, like all human beings. That's one way the Bible uses it. And it can also mean a value set or the world in opposition to God, the world in rebellion against God. That kind of... Uh, hatred of the holiness of God and the morality of God and a sense of accountability to God. We hate him because we're accountable to him. And it is that kind of world that Jesus is talking about that's going to hate you. These are people without saving knowledge of God. These are, this is the natural person without the spirit of God. These are people not chosen, if I could use that language here from the text. But he gets that something that I think all of us need to realize, and this is the main point that I have today. There is a reason that they will hate you. And at the root of that hatred is not really you. And Jesus says, it's me. It's me. And I want to talk about Jesus' hate. This is verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. But I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. So the world, this is humanity, this is a worldly uh, philosophy of life, and approach to life, hates God and hates those that are aligned with God. They don't like Jesus, he says here. They didn't like him when he walked on earth. You know, there's this misnomer. If only Jesus was here today, everybody would love him. No, they didn't the first time. Or we could think, if we were more like Jesus, people would like us more. And we need to be very Jesus-like so that people want to sort of do life the way that we're doing life because we're doing it the way that Jesus did it. And if only we were more Jesus-like, more people would be attracted to our faith. No, 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 no. Actually, the more like Jesus we are, apparently the less worldly people will like us. And on the surface of that, it sounds a little crazy because, you know, we live in a kind of Christendom in some ways in Western society, in America in particular. And so, you know, there's this sort of thing like, you know, who wouldn't want a Christian as their neighbor? I mean, they make good neighbors. And who wouldn't want to hire a Christian as an employee? We should be good employees. And who wouldn't want Christians as citizens, fellow citizens? We should be good citizens. And what we failed to realize is that there is an overarching story of everything, a story of humanity. And in that overarching story, it is image bearers in rebellion against their creator. We are essentially spiritual. Now we have bodies, okay, uh, souls, spirit, etc. but we are all, even people that hate God are essentially spiritual because God made us that way. And all of this kind of niceness covers over and kind of masks a basic narrative for all of humanity, that there is a core revolt against God, against his glory, against his holiness, and certainly against his divine reign. Sinners do not like the thought of a holy God, and they don't want to be reminded of accountability to a holy God, and they don't like anybody whose life or faith or lifestyle reminds them that they are accountable to a holy God. And that is why Jesus says here, they will hate you because you represent me, and they actually hate me the most. Now, as we source this and trace this, Jesus expands on this in verse 21 and says, you gotta realize, not only do they hate me, they hate the one who sent me. Look at verse 21, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. And if you look at verse 23, whoever hates me hates my father also. But Jesus is urging us here to realize that the antagonism that the world will have against Christ and Christianity is not so much about us, but about who we represent to them, okay? The gospel is good news, but it is not good news to everyone. Here's 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Apart from the work of God, the natural person cannot accept the things of God, They are foolishness to him. And without that spirit, the gospel rubs sinners the wrong way. Just three verses after the famous John 3.16, Jesus says this to Nicodemus, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. What is it about Jesus that people don't like? Jesus is the light of the world. That's what he called himself. I am the light of the world. And he says that humanity does not like the light because humanity loves the darkness. And darkness is moral darkness. Darkness is spiritual darkness, the moral shadows of the world. Darkness doesn't like light because light exposes darkness. Are you with me? It shows what's there when the light is turned on. You might remember this. I'm sure every one of us did this at some point when you were a kid. And you were, you know, somewhere, and there was some modest sized rock, and you looked at the rock, and you thought to yourself, I wonder what's under that rock. And you went over to the rock, and you flipped it over, and there under the rock, what do you see? There's all these little insects, and bugs, and maggots of all sorts. And what do they do when you pull the rock up? They do everything they can to get back into the darkness. They don't like the darkness, they squirm away. They want to stay in the darkness. And sinners, apart from the grace of God and the presence of the Spirit of God, hate Jesus because of the light of his life, the teaching, the the, the gospel illuminates that we are sinners, and sinners don't like that kind of accountability. And so then we ask the question, well, why do they dislike us so? And the reason, Jesus says, is because we represent him. We are a reminder to humanity of Jesus. To be reminded of the glory and the grandeur of God and his rightful place as king over the human heart is hated. (laughs) So why do they dislike us? Or should I say this? Why should they dislike us? Because we represent Jesus. Now, how well do we do that? Far from perfect, right? We are far from perfect representations of Jesus. But we are still guilty by association. Let me illustrate it this way. Let's say that you had somebody and they hate the sunlight, And the reason they hate the sunlight is because they hate the sun. Well, guess what? If you're the moon, they don't like you either. Because somebody that hates the sun and sunlight is going to look at the moon and go, that's just a reflection of sunlight that I hate. Not only do I not like the sun, I don't like the moon either. We are moonlight. We are moons in the world. They hate the sun. And therefore, they hate the moon because we reflect what God is like. So remember that when you face some level of animosity about your faith, they're not really hating you. They're hating the one that you reflect. When we face the scowls or our kids are shunned or we miss a promotion at work, or our family scoffs at the Thanksgiving table at our faith, or like Cheryl Beckett, when they line you up for assassination, it feels like they hate us, but they have an ancient spiritual animosity to anything that reminds them of God. He goes on to say that it's not just a feeling, rather persecution is what flows from hate. Look at verse 20. Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, so a little change of word here from hate to persecution, they will also persecute you. Now what is persecution? Persecution is when that hatred clenches its fist. Persecution is Jesus' hate expressed in violence of some kind. More people died for the Christian faith in the last century around the world than all the other centuries combined. This persecution is not something in the past or, you know. No, it is here right now, it is happening. Cheryl Beckett as one example. Now I'm giving this message in a country that has constitutional protections regarding the freedom of religion. And the net result of that is that as I talk about persecution, some of you are thinking more about your lunch and your nap today because you don't think this actually touches your real life. And yet, many of our partners that are right here with us today can tell stories of actual violence being done against them, against people that they know and love, indeed colleagues of theirs in the ministry Murdered simply because they profess the name of Jesus. And that is right now, it's not Fox's Book of Martyrs, it's the world that you and I are living in. And if you're like, well, I don't know about that, why don't you just talk to a faithful Christian teenager in a public school local and ask them about what it's like to represent Jesus faithfully in an environment like that. And the, maybe not overt violence, but certainly the fact that men love darkness rather than light is evident in the schools all around us. I think about the world that we live in and the way that things are changing. We live in Western society, which is increasingly secular, becoming more and more secular all the time leaving a sort of almost latent Judeo-Christian ethic that came out of the Protestant Reformation. As we leave that sort of view of life, I believe that we will increasingly face animosity in our culture and in our world that we live in. I doubt very much that my daughters will avoid substantial discrimination if they should choose to live as faithful Christians in the years to come. That's the world that we live in. In fact, a recent survey indicated this. When it comes to public perceptions of religious groups, a new poll finds that U.S. views of evangelical Christians are increasingly negative among those who aren't themselves born-again believers. But let's again go back to what is so hateable about Christianity. Like, really? You, You hate us? You're going to execute people that are bringing medical supplies to your own people? What's going on here? And this is so good, I just have to read it. John Milne, as Christians, we are called to be light of the world. If we are living consistent lives, our works and words will regularly contradict the lifestyles of those around us. By our code of practice in the workplace... By our attitudes to work, by our own personal ethical standards, by our life goals and values, we shall inevitably, without consciously setting out to do so, expose the unfruitful works of darkness, Ephesians 5.11. Like our master, the integrity of our speech, our unwillingness to spread slander, our words of kindness and forgiveness will at times provoke opposition. Opposition. We don't go out and say, I want to help people hate me today. That is not the Christian goal, not at all, no. We want our lives to silently witness the sunlight into a world of darkness. And if you're here today and you're like, I can't think of anybody that's ever been bothered by me at all, and you see that as a virtue, I would ask you, is there enough reflection of Jesus in your life that you're annoying somebody? And might it be that you have compromised with the values of the world to such a degree that you don't bother anyone? And this is where I think we need a global perspective and to realize that while we have a certain level currently of religious freedom in the country that we live in, our brothers and sisters are living in context where they cannot hide their faith and they are suffering as a result of it. They are receiving antagonism and discrimination by just being a Christian. Think about the old world. I got thinking about these 11 disciples sitting there, you know, listening to Jesus, and they're kind of like, what's he talking about, right? What do you mean they're gonna hate us? They're gonna persecute us. Well, how did that play out for them? Ancient history tells us that Peter was crucified, upside down. James, Jesus' brother, was murdered by a... Andrew went to Russia and was crucified there. Thomas went to India and was murdered with spears. Philip, Matthew, and Bartholomew were all murdered. The other James and the disciples was stoned and clubbed to death. And Matthias, who joined on later, if you remember, was burned alive. And I wonder how many of them, as they're dying, might have thought back to the upper room and the very words that we see before us today when Jesus says, they hated me, they're going to hate you. They persecuted me, they will persecute you.
0: You're listening to The Journey with Steve DeWitt and a message called Jesus Hate. Remember, if you ever tune in late, you can always replay Steve's message online. Just visit thejourney.fm. You can also listen by subscribing to our podcast. Just grab your smart device and search your favorite podcast app for The Journey with Steve DeWitt. Well, I just want to take a moment to thank our listeners and our faithful monthly supporters who give generously to help keep the journey on the air. Because of friends like you, we're able to share God's word with listeners around the country through the radio and internet, helping people meet God wherever they're at in their own life's journey. And when you give a generous gift today, whether it's one time or monthly, you'll help ensure that the clear biblical teaching on The Journey continues to reach listeners throughout the rest of the year. So would you give today? Just call 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763. Or give online at thejourney.fm. When you do, we'll say thank you by sending you The Upper Room by John MacArthur. The events and teaching recorded in The Upper Room Discourse reveal some of the most poignant and powerful promises For believers in all of scripture, Jesus was on the eve of his crucifixion, and any other man in that situation would have been in such a state of uncontrollable agitation that he would have never been able to focus his attention on the needs of others. But Jesus was different. He wanted his followers to know the peace of the one who has overcome the world. And The Upper Room is a book that offers insight into Christ's parting promises for troubled hearts. It's sure to be an encouragement to you and those you share it with. Request your copy today by calling 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763. Or visit thejourney.fm. I'm Tim Svoboda. Join us tomorrow for a brand new message titled, More Light, More Liability. That's Wednesday on The Journey with Steve DeWitt. Today's program was produced and furnished by Bethel Church in Crown Point, Indiana.